Thank you, Tim, for that prayer of supplication. Thank you all for being here this morning and participating in our worship and singing praises to the Lord. Grateful for those of you that made your way to Christian Growth Group at uh, 930 and enjoyed that lesson in the book of Revelation. And this, this morning, I want to uh, ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We'll continue that chapter and the series through the Gospel of Luke that I've entitled, Follow Me. That's what Jesus calls those who are believers to do, and that is to uh, take their eyes off of themselves and off of the world, put their eyes on Jesus by faith, trusting in him and him alone, and follow him, not just on Sundays, not just at Christmas and Easter, but every day of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we'll be looking at chapter 12, and beginning in verse 35, through 48. Let me just uh, remind you of uh, a feature in our worship guide. We try to make this as uh, practical and uh, helpful for you as you come to worship, and not just on Sundays, but for you throughout the week. One of the sections that I use uh, quite often is the sermon notes. Uh, I, I use this uh, when somebody else is preaching, uh, but then also I use it uh, on Sunday evenings during the equip hour. Because uh, Tim is teaching us through Genesis, I'm, I'm trying to write down things that, that are, you know, uh, helpful and pertinent, and and uh, like to go back and look at that. So uh, if you if you are listening to me preach, and maybe I make a reference of a point, and you want to write it down just to go back and, and examine that again, or scripture, maybe I'll, I'll refer to scripture not in the text, the main text that you might want to write down and go back and look for yourself. Um, things like that. So I just wanted to remind us of that feature in your in your worship guide and, and encourage you to use it as often as you can. So uh, we're going to be looking here in chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, as we talk about um, being ready. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? All right. Okay. All right. I, I bet there's more than raising a hand because I caught you off guard. But um, what, what if he was coming um, next year at this time? Are you ready? He said, well, I, I got time. All right, what, what, if, what if you got knowledge that Jesus is actually going to make a return to the earth to establish his kingdom in, on Christmas this year, 2021? Are, are you ready? Okay. What if Jesus came this afternoon? Are you ready? We'll be talking about that in the text this morning. You can contemplate that. And uh, but let me share something with you. I, I, I settled on as I was preparing the message the Lord was leading me. In about three weeks, our nation will pause to remember what was a very somber moment, somber moment in, the, in our nation's history. Eighty years ago, on December the 7th, 1941, the Imperial Navy Air Force of the Japanese Empire launched a savage and surprise air attack on the uh, United States Naval Base there in Honolulu, Hawaii. And uh, hence, we, we, we still take time to remember December the 7th, it's Pearl Harbor Day. When the smoke began to clear later that day, it was determined that some 2,403, 2,403 American souls perished. Of that number, 2,008 were Navy personnel, 109 were Marines, 218 were Army service members, and 68 civilians. Just imagine, just like that, after the dawn of a new day, some 2,400 plus American lives gone. President Franklin D. Roosevelt described that day as a day that will live in infamy. You've heard that quote. And it does. And it will for Americans. Well, then, more recently, as you consider the fact that this past September the 11th, we observed yet another somber occasion in the history of our nation. As we remember the vicious attack by militant Islamists launched on four separate attacks on September the 11th, 2001, so that's 20 years ago. 
You know it all too well. That date, that event is carved on your memory. Couldn't forget it if you tried. You still have the images in your mind. And the result of those vicious attacks that were sudden, just like Pearl Harbor, sudden. No warning. 2,996 Americans in just a matter of a few hours went into eternity. We saw some of them jumping from the hundred plus floors of the Twin Towers to get away from the, the intense heat of jet fuel burning that building before it collapsed. You know, both tragic occurrences serve to remind our nation's leaders, and I trust that it still does today, of the absolute essentiality of always being ready. Ready to defend ourselves against such deadly surprise attacks by our adversaries. And I trust that our leaders have taken these events seriously, and I think that they do. But even with the best of technology, or you know, we ask ourselves as a nation, are we ready? Well, we know in the scriptures that that you know, the, that the Lord warns his people to be alert against the attacks by our spiritual adversary. Suddenly, out of nowhere, we remember when Jesus was warning the apostle Peter there in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like grain. This is just before Jesus would be arrested and then crucified. He said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like grain. I'm warning you, Peter. And sure enough, he did. And three times Peter denied even knowing the Lord Jesus. Well, then this same Peter issued a warning to the first century church. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 18, he said, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I hope you're ready. I hope you go into each and every day absolutely spiritually alert. Because just because you're a Christian, I would say especially because you're a Christian, you are a target of the forces of evil that seek to undermine the kingdom of God and to destroy his people. But in the text that we're looking at this morning, even though it's important that we are ready for these harmful attacks that would come upon us, you'll learn as Jesus is teaching here in chapter 12, that the Lord is impressing upon his disciples and those gathered around him, the multitudes that day, about the importance of God's people always being ready for the Lord's certain and sudden return. Jesus Christ is coming again. And it's up to you and me as we prepare for what theologians call the parousia, the return, the second time that Christ is coming to the earth, it's important that you and I are ready. Now, last time that I preached here in chapter 12, the theme of Jesus's message and the focus of his message to his disciples and the multitude focused on possessions. Our attitude towards possessions and our attitude as believers about the treasures uh, in heaven, it, storing up for yourself treasures where moths and rust and thieves can't access. Don't get obsessed with the things of this earth. But now he's changing gears. Same crowd, same disciples sitting in that inner circle, but the same multitude gathered around him. And Jesus is talking about them, about being ready. The Lord's call to repentance. Or, well, the lesson from this morning, now CGG in Revelation does call us to repentance. And of course, repentance, we want to be ready when the Lord comes through repentance. But the Lord's call to readiness Faithful servants of the Lord are ready for his return. Ta-da! That is something you can hang your hook on. Faithful. Not just any of the servants of the Lord, but faithful servants are ready for the Lord's return. Look at chapter 12, Luke's gospel, verse 35. Jesus says, let your waist be girded 
and your lamps burning. The, the English Standard Version said, stay dressed for action. Those of you that are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul was giving us in verses 10 through 18, the, the spiritual armor, he talks about the belt of truth with the mindset of a Roman soldier and how they dress for battle. This wouldn't just apply to soldiers. It would apply to any man in any situation, basically. Because men back then wore long flowing robes like women did in that day. Uh, and therefore, you know, if they were going to do some serious action like running or going and working in the fields or fighting in a battle, they would gird up their loins. In other words, take the hems of that garment, you know, and, and pull it up and tuck it in that belt, that leather belt that hung around their waist. And, and therefore, it was kind of like, I may be dating myself here, kind of like the old kulaks, you know. Kind of shorts, dress, whatever. But anyway, because if they were running or moving or working, they would trip over their robes. So they girded up their loins to be ready for action. And so here Jesus is saying, you know, gird up your waist. Be ready. He's saying, get ready. Be ready. And then he also talked about the lamps. He says, and your lamps burning. If it's at night. You know, and you got to go outside because you, you hear something prowling around the house or you, somebody rummaging through your storage bin or something like that there or trying to hotwire your car. You know, you don't walk out there in the black of night. You know, you get a flashlight. But back in that day, you get your lamp and make sure you got oil. Make sure the, the wicket's trimmed and it's burning. Get, have a burning lamp. Be ready. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he, re he shall return or when he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, that they may open to him immediately. That's what Jesus is trying to stress to his disciples. Be ready. Go on in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Stop there for a second. Because faithful servants are continually watching with expectation for the return of the master. The setting at that time, the master of the household has gone to a wedding. Presumably it's not his because it doesn't mention the, the bride. Um, but he's going to a wedding. And weddings in those days, I mean, my goodness, they put so many times that we call a wedding to, to shame. You know, man, they, they got together. And this, this could be a, a, an event that would take a couple of days. It could take a week, depending on the financial status of that individual who's, you know, the, the, the bride's uh, uh, father. And so, you know, when the master is going to a wedding, he's gone for days of celebration. But when the master, the master, the one who not only owns the buildings and owns the farm and owns you as a servant, when he's coming back, the last thing that you want to happen in your context as a servant in that day is for the master to show up, whether day or night, and he's beaten on the door. Brother Mark brought that out and talking about Revelation, in Revelation 3.20. And Jesus is talking about, you know, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Hey, when the master shows up, he's tired. He's partied out. He's ready to come home and get settled in. And, and, and he's knocking on the door. You best not take a half an hour or an hour because you're partying or having fun or sleeping or whatever and keep the master waiting. No, no, a faithful servant knowing good and well that the master is coming home is always watching. He's ready, looking up the road, watching for the master's chariot or his beast and, and, and as to, to see if he's continually watching with expectation for the return of the master, and they are thoroughly prepared for his sudden return. If he shows up, they're ready. Jesus is going to show up, y'all. Pardon my southern knees. Are you ready? 
are you? A faithful servant is going to be ready. A faithful servant also will be rewarded for their readiness. That's what the Lord is stressing to those that he's teaching that day. Look at verse 38. Let's back up into 37. Blessed. You remember what blessed means? It means that lasting, deep, soul-satisfying joy. Like in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. Blessed. You have that abiding, constant, soul-fulfilling joy of knowing that you're in the will of God. And these servants, in verse 37, Jesus said, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Can you imagine the master's coming back? He's been, he's tired. He's been partying and, and, and socially engaging, you know, and he's so ready to get home and get into his comfy cozies. Y'all have comfy cozies? You, you don't usually hang out on Sunday best on Sunday afternoon, do you? Stop by my house and you'll see my comfy cozies. I don't encourage you to because it's not very flattering. But anyway, it's a lot more comfortable than a suit. But anyway. He's looking forward to getting back and kicking up his feet. And, and can you imagine how satisfying it is to him when he looks at it there at the top of the gate from the wall? Or maybe the gate's open and the servants are, are, are jogging out to him, maybe with a refreshing, cool lemonade. He said, Master, we've been looking for you. We missed you. How was the party? I mean, how was the wedding? And oh, can you imagine the joy? Floods that master's soul. My servants are ready for they, they miss me. They're ready to bring me in. And oh, and so they are blessed. And Jesus describes that you know, there in verse 37. He goes on and says, Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself. Now we're talking about the master. He the boss. <laughs> He's just come from a big party. Eating and feasting and having a good time. Well, what does he do? After he gets in, gets his bags unpacked, it's settled in, he says, Hey guys, talk to his servants. I'm having a special dinner tonight. And you are the guest. It talks about Jesus says, the master, he will gird himself. Remember, I told you, girding is when you're going to do some work. Pulls his robes up, tucks it in, and he starts bringing, he's got all the servants, you know, lined up around in the, uh, the eating, you know, they reclined and ate, and he's got them all ready for dinner. And then here he comes. Uh, first course, you know, roast chicken or roast lamb, you know. Oh, we got fresh baked bread. Okay, here you go, guys. And he's, he's serving them. You know, that's a that's a depiction of the, the celestial Marriage supper to which we are all invited because we are children of God. And one day when we are with the Lord, he is going to take great pleasure in not only providing and sponsoring this beautiful banquet in heaven, but he's going to serve us. Don't ask me how, because he's got a lot of children, but he'll get it done. I promise you. So this master is demonstrating his gratitude and appreciation uh, for the loyalty and the readiness of his servants. And you'll notice the red, their readiness is, is irregardless of time. It doesn't matter when he shows up. Of course, it would be convenient, wouldn't it, to show up maybe 9 o'clock in the morning after we've gotten up there, or, you know, maybe in the middle of the afternoon. Oh, it would be convenient if he could do it before dark because it's so hard to get things. But, you know, Jesus says it didn't matter. It didn't, and, and I'm assuming he's using the Roman figuring of time. They, they had four or three-hour watches. So, so if they were using the Roman figuring of time, in verse 38, it says, and if he should come in the second watch, what would be from 9 p.m. to midnight, and then and he says in the second watch or in the third watch, which would be midnight till 3. In other words, even if he shows up, at midnight, or if he did use the Jewish figure of time, which would be three, four hour, he'd be around four o'clock in the morning. I mean, two o'clock in the morning. So midnight or two o'clock, even if he showed up then. I don't know how you probably would respond if your humble preacher showed up at your house at midnight, two in the morning, 
you know, not an emergency, just saying, that's it, do you have anything cooked? I know you had bacon, you know, can we just sit and watch a little TV? Or, she'd probably have shot me at least by then. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But the fact is, this is how ready they were. This is how diligent they were. And as we consider our, our relationship with the Lord, you know, Jesus, knowing that he's coming again, looks forward, looks forward to seeing us be in a life of readiness and a mindset of readiness, spiritual preparedness, not caught off guard like, oh, the Lord's here. <laughs> you ever have a surprise company show up? <laughs> you know, I know I've had some embarrassing moments in my life and people show up unexpectedly. I remember, you know, when I was a kid and we lived in the old log house, we didn't have indoor plumbing and water and things like that. And we did literally take the Saturday night bath. No need to take baths during the rest of the week. And, and so we, we didn't have a tub with running water and all of that. We had a big old wash tub and, and we'd have to heat water on the wood stove and, and bring it, pour it in there and moderate the temperature. And there, and the only place to get it situated right was in the living room. What was the living room? It was my mom and dad's bedroom doubled as a living room. But anyway, it was a common room. And and so we, we, were, we were doing the Saturday night bath thing and a few neighbors, people from the community decided they were gonna come over and visit, right? You know, and, and so my mom was doing the bath thing with the kids, you know, one, a little, two, a little, three, little Indians. My turn, number four, your bathtub is ready. So I jumped in there, you know, put some warm water in here, mom. And, and no sooner I settled into the tub with the bar of soap. And somebody's beating on the front door. Dad says, go see who it is. And I, you know, and somebody, one of the brothers went out there and they didn't think to say, wait, Charlie's in the bathtub. But they just went and threw the door open. Y'all come on in, come on in. I'm sitting in the tub drinking my... Shoot, I was embarrassed. I was probably about eight or nine years old, probably Asher's age. So, you know, I was, I'd stand up to leave. I said, Woo, I'd sit down. I was a, okay. No surprises for God's people. He's already warned us. He's already warned us. He's coming again. The Lord warns his people of the suddenness of his return. He warns us. He tells us. Look in verse 39. But know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He wants his followers to know you're not going to get a lot of forewarning. It's going to happen when you least expect. You know, as I was reading what Jesus was teaching here, and we'll get to that in just a second. Just imagine a benevolent burglar posting on the Meadowlands, that's the community that Jan and I live in just down the street, lots of homes, posting on our Meadowlands website, which is an information piece for our, the residents of Meadowlands. But this benevolent burglar posts on the Meadowlands website his intentions to break into about 15, 10 to 15 homes on Saturday night between 6 p.m. and midnight. Now, how many of my neighbors do you think would go ahead with their plans to go out of town for the weekend? You see, the thief is not going to advertise his coming, and the Lord has no intention of advertising when he's returning. You best be ready. That's what the, that's what the Lord is saying. If the master had known. Now, some of you, and we've had people breaking into car and house. That's a very, you know, uh, bad feeling. You feel so violated, you know, and somebody break into your place. And and just, you know, just as that master, he's speaking past tense, like retrospect. If that master had known when the bird was coming, guess what? He'd have been there. Not only that, he'd have been there with two pit bulls, a shotgun, and a pistol, and a club. I mean, he'd have been ready. But it's not just in a very, as Barney Fife would say, facetious way of trying to illustrate. Thief is not going to call you and say, listen, uh, I was, I'm going to break in your house tonight. What time you, you go to bed? Or you, you all going out for dinner or something? 
That ain't gonna happen. So, so Jesus is just simply saying, you know, but but know that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into, but he didn't have the leisure of knowing ahead of time. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You do not expect. I was talking about 9-11. I'll never forget that morning. I was driving on my way to the hospital. It was a beautiful, beautiful fall morning. It was still summer, but beautiful morning. Sky was perfectly blue. You know, it's just driving along, feeling so good. And I was listening to the radio and I heard a flash saying something about, you know, terrorist attack, New York City. And I, I, I didn't give it a lot of thought because I know they always are attacking somewhere. So when I got to the hospital and I was going in and I was going to find the room of the patient, church member, and, and I, I stopped because there was a trade center towers on TV and one of them was smoking. And I thought, whoa, New York. Twin towers. I've gone up inside of those things. I mean, it's like three elevators and two escalators, a hundred and some floors up there. I, we got up to the observation deck of that particular tower that night and looked down on the Statue of Liberty, and there was a small airplane flying down below us. That's how tall those. So that structure caught my attention. And, you know, when we think about the suddenness, nobody was expecting that. We were in shock. And a lot of people will be in shock. And suddenly they realize it's Jesus, the Lord. He's coming. Jesus briefly describes the suddenness, as I pointed out there, of his coming, using the illustration of the household master and who, who looks back in hindsight. But what about the believer? who is known from the scriptures, yeah, Jesus is coming one day. But you see, they got so comfortable with that idea that they began to procrastinate. Well, you know what? It's not going to be this. I'm just confident it's not going to be this year. Yeah, and so I just go on and, you know, I won't invest my time in serving the Lord and, and worshiping him and studying his word and, and witnessing and, and doing benevolent ministries out, you know, out of the community. I, I'll, I'll get to that, but right now I want to invest in myself. I'm going to work overtime so I can make more money. I want to buy all the things that I want to have. I want to accumulate for myself my own little kingdom. And one of these days, I'll be ready. You know, I'll, I'll give my attention to getting ready. What if the Lord stepped in right then and there? I heard a story about a pastor went to a hospital to see a patient, uh, a church member who was terminally ill. And the doctors had already made it clear to him and his family that his hours were numbered. And the pastor is, you know, and this is a prominent citizen of the community. He's wealthy. He's got a lot of property. He's got power, you know, economic power. And, and there he is, a frail man laying in the bed now. His disease is sapping the life out of him. And the pastor, you know, was going to pray with him, knowing that death was imminent. And the man is weeping. And he says, Pastor, it's not death that bothers me so much. It's the fact that I'm leaving this world as a Christian. And I'm going to show up in the presence of the Lord empty-handed. He, he saw this. He knew that Jesus expected us to invest our lives for the things of the kingdom of God. And yet he had procrastinated. He had reasoned to himself, I don't have to do it now. I can wait. I can wait. And suddenly he's hours from standing in the presence of the Lord Almighty. And he's going to be absolutely empty head. Nothing to show of eternal significance. So Jesus in verse 40 counsels his followers. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And ladies and gentlemen, he will. Matthew 24, 44, the Lord said, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. In Revelation 3, 3, to the messengers of the church at Sardis, the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ admonished them, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The Apostle Paul describes the suddenness of the rapture of the church from this world. 
And you're talking about something sudden. Verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And in the chapter five, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You will not receive a notice from heaven saying, get your house in order. Jesus is coming six months from today. I know we went through all those hopes back in 1988. Somebody wrote a book and said this, all these biblical reasons and calculations when the Lord's coming back on September the 8th, 1988 or something like that. And everybody, oh man, churches are starting to fill up. People are talking about God things, you know, and everybody's waiting until September today. Some people sold property, sold the car. I mean, they're thinking, hey, after, after you know, next week, I don't need that stuff. I'm, Jesus is coming. Did you read the book? On September the 9th, 1988, there were a lot of people looking for that man. They probably would have beat him to, to a pulp. Because he had misinformed. No, no, you're not going to get a date. You're not going to get a notice. The fact is, you better be ready. I need to be ready. And, and so as we progress along, let's, in verse 41, Jesus teaches on the eternal importance of faithfulness. Faithfulness in being ready. Faithfulness in living your life for the Lord. Okay? So faithfulness matters to the Lord. But, but as we look at verse 41, who would speak up? Anybody want to take a guess? Andrew? Peter? As in Simon Bartona, you know, there's always people. I, I, you know, I'm a big mouth, and, and I just notice there's a tip, tendency on my part when when we have groups, you know, like we go to conferences and Wendy's big birthday, you know, and the facilitator, you know, he'll he'll throw out a question, right? And, and you have preachers and you know, associate ministers and yeah, you know, all these clergy, and and the facilitator throw out a question for the discussion and. And they become like they don't have a tongue. And and, and I feel obligated. Somebody's got to talk. <laughs> and yeah, it's me. Not, you know, so I'm trying, I got some Simon Peter. I can't stand silence. If you're going to ask a question, you want an answer. You got to muzzle Charlie Martin if you don't, in my opinion, first. So, I, you know, I, I just wave right on in there, right or wrong. But hey, here's Peter. He's listening to everything the Lord is saying. And Peter asked an honest question in verse 41. He said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all the people, the 12 or the thousands behind us? Good question. Who needs to hear this? Who needs to apply this, Lord? Okay, everybody's sharpening the pencils, got the notepads ready to say, okay, who it is. But you know, Peter, as the spokesman of the group, may have been a little disappointed because Jesus didn't answer his question directly. But that's kind of Jesus's way. You know, the Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees, all the time throwing questions at him. And he wouldn't just answer and give them a direct answer. A lot of times he'd teach you a lesson through a parable. And so this is Jesus's customary style. He answers kind of indirectly, if you will. Let's pick up there in verse 42, okay? As the Lord is, is given within the body of this parable, he's given what? Literary writers recall um, similitudes, little nuggets that fit together to make up the whole story. So in verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Good question. He said, blessed, remember, there's that word again, that deep-seated joy of contentment in God. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he returns. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So he doesn't say, Peter, it's for the disciples. 
Peter is not for you guys, it's for the, the multitude. He doesn't say, he just simply says, let me show you something. The faithful servant, okay, the one that is, is prepared, the faithful and wise servant who is ready at all times, he's ready, dressed, he's got everything for the, he's ready for the Lord to return. Jesus said that servant is going to be blessed. They will be rewarded. You want a motivation for living in daily awareness and, and readiness for the coming of the Lord? It's right there. If you are, if the Lord comes suddenly and he finds you, say, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> I've been serving you up to this point. And, and Lord, I mean, you, you, uh, what if he catches you right in the middle of your devotional prayer reading? You're pouring your heart out to him. Or you're, you're planning your next missions endeavor or ministry in the church and you're thinking about ways to serve the Lord to advance his kingdom and he just abruptly shows up. Blessed are you. He's going to say, good servant. And as a result of your faithfulness and your preparedness, he says, then I'm going to bestow these blessings upon you. I will make you ruler over all this. I'm putting you in charge of a lot of my kingdom as we go forward. That's a good position to be in. And so here's that's the faithful servant who will be blessed. I think about this, Tim's pre-teaching through Genesis and we at the character Joseph. And I think about Joseph as being a faithful servant. He was always ready spiritually for every season of his life. And, and, and it wasn't easy early on from the time he was sold into slavery and then accused falsely of adultery and, and or rape and, and then thrown into prison and then interpreted dreams that they forgot about him. They didn't tell the Pharaoh. And finally, finally, through that faithfulness, the day came when Pharaoh needed an interpretation and Joseph was brought. And then a, in a flurry of activity, God elevated Joseph from the position of a, a humble, meager prisoner to being the second most powerful man in the whole Egyptian empire. Why? Because he was faithful. He was ready. God didn't find him in some brothel, rolling dice and cussing like a sailor and, you know, resentful for the terrible things that had happened in his life. No! He found him ready and faithful and God elevated him and made him powerful. You know, Jesus would say later in Luke 16, 10, he says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. You may be thinking, you know, I, I, I don't have, God hasn't given me a lot of stuff. I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of property, possessions, a, a high position. You know, God may be watching you and how faithful you are with the little bit he's given you in anticipation that if you are faithful, you use what he has given you and you trust him with what you need and you invest in the kingdom of God more than your own kingdom, God may be watching. Yep, yep, that's good. That's good. I like that. And then the moment comes when he says, I'm elevating you now. If you're faithful in what is little, you'll surely be faithful in what is much. But on the other hand, contrast, you're not faithful at what little bit God has given you, squandered on yourself and you're selfish and self-centered and greedy and whatever, God say, sorry. If you're not if you're not faithful in what little you have, how in the world do you expect me to bless you with more? Well, now we want to finish out because we just saw the description of that faithful servant and the benefits of that. And now as we look at verse 45, we're going to start seeing in this last portion the stark contrast he describes the unfaithful servants. In stark contrast, he describes the unfaithful servants. And we'll just walk right on through them, okay? But just notice, we're going to be talking about several servants. We just looked at one faithful. Isn't that something, the odds? 
Three to one. Unfaithful to faithful. Folks, you, the Lord never said that you were going to be in the majority. God's people more than likely always be in the minority. The staggering figures of lostness that Tim presents to us in the un unreached people groups. Do you get? y'all get the feeling? Billions in India, South Asia, and, and, and Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. Billions. I can't even wrap my mind. That's how many people are walking in spiritual darkness unreached and probably won't be reached with the gospel. Three to one in this parable. Let's, let's jump on in here. So he says, but if, if, if that servant, not the one that was just blessed, this is another servant. This is servant number one. Okay. Dr. John MacArthur in his, his commentary called him the defiant servant, the defiant servant, servant. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. And he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. I mean, even right there, I can say, what, whoa, not going to be good. The master of that house will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at a time, at an hour when he is not aware. Boss is going to show up. And here's this man having an orgy and he's beating up the other servants and he's drunk as a skunk and he's squandering the master's resources. And the master walks in. He's like, oh, dear. You need therapy. I'm sure it's because you have a grandmother that was selfish and yes, just <laughs> oh forget that Freudian junk. Verse 46, the master of that servant will show up or come on that day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and what? My translation will cut him in two. I just see him walking in, this unfaithful drunk beating up his other servants. Master says, uh, Machete, thank you. Well, it's pretty graphic. And appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 51, describing the same scenario, the Lord described that place where the un unbelievers are as a place of fire and torment. And with people who will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, i.e. hell. If the Lord returns and finds you abusing the things that he's entrusted to you and you're defiant, that's what awaits the unfaithful servant number one. But let's move on because I want you to see something. In the body of this, this similitude, Jesus is teaching us there are degrees of punishment in hell. Just like we know there are degrees of reward in heaven. Christians will be rewarded based on their faithfulness in serving God on this earth. Some will receive more rewards in heaven and some less because of their faithfulness here. 1 Corinthians 13. So, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Here's one. The master just chopped him up. But then let's look at the next servant, the second unfaithful servant. Dr. MacArthur calls this one the di distracted servant. Okay? And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his, his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Uh, who would like to get beaten with many stripes as opposed to getting chopped up? He's unbelieving. He's unfaithful. But he didn't get chopped up. He was just he was just distracted, just like a lot of people out there in the world. They're distracted by material possessions and money and, and popularity and things like that. And, and, you know, all this talk about the kingdom of God just doesn't register. So when the Lord shows up, you know, they're not going to be like the ones who were defiant and, and, and abused the things of, uh, you know, the people of, of God, things like that. So this one will be beaten with many stripes. But let's go on to verse 48. Okay, as we look at yet another unfaithful servant. And this one we'll call the ignorant servant. I know ignorant is a word we don't like to use or a description or an adjective, you know. Boy, you're ignorant. But 
But basically, Jesus is saying there's a servant who is absolutely ignorant, oblivious. Okay, let's see what happens. Verse 48, and he who did not know, didn't even know about the coming of the Lord, yet committed things worthy of stripes, in other words, lived rebellious, sinful, shall be beaten with few. You see the gradation there? We've gone from being chopped up to being whipped with many stripes to this one just being beaten with a few. Okay? For everyone to whom much is given, there you go, from him much will be required. Well, what about this ignorant servant? Okay? He, he just didn't know. The Lord was coming back. He didn't know anything about that. He was just going on living his lost life, like, like the majority of the people in the world. Okay? Well, as one commentator said, his ignorance does not exonerate him. He's still lost. He's still an unbeliever. And he will suffer eternal punishment. His punishment in hell will be less than the first and the second. But it will be punishment. He will be in the eternal fires and suffering and agony and no mercy and no hope forever and ever. But his ignorance doesn't get him off the hook. Have you ever tried to reason using ignorance with a North Carolina state trooper? Uh, officer, uh, I, I didn't know that this was a 35 mile per hour zone. Are you driving 75? I, I just, I didn't know. I can see Joe Bird just laughing his head off at this point. Uh, if, you, if you try to use ignorance as a way to get out of it, forget it. Troopers, oh, you didn't know? You can see your license. And, and you really thought it was still 65? Let me see your registration. Yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. I, maybe not like that. I know our state troopers are very courteous and respectful and all that. Don't, don't think you're going to get off on ignorance. You're not going to stand before the holy and righteous all-knowing God of the universe when he appears out of the, out of the blue suddenly in your life and say, oh, oh I, I didn't know. There's not many people that haven't heard of the word of God. People that have looked around and seen the beauty of God's handiwork in creation and, and reason, there's got to be more than just evolution that caused this. People who have gone through life and the Spirit of God has convicted their conscience to know this is not right, this is wrong. And they've ignored it. Listen, there's no excuse. And they too will suffer. So after seeing this, the, the, the demise of the three unfaithful servants, I don't know if you, I don't know about you, but but you ought to have a deep sense of gratitude. If you're a child of God, you're a Christian, and you're following the Lord, and you are ready in your heart, let me tell you something. The only reason that we can have that assurance is because of the grace of our loving and merciful God that we're not in that those last three categories. Have you found yourself in this sobering parable at some point? Do you believe in and trust in and are you obediently living your life for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the same Lord Jesus who died on that cross 2,000 years ago to pay the price for your sins, the same Jesus that was buried in the tomb and on three days, that three days later was resurrected by the power and glory of God? Are you that servant that has truly put your life in the hands of the Son of God? And you live with the awareness that, yes, Jesus is coming again. I don't know when, but I'm ready. I'm ready. If you can't answer resoundingly, yes, I urge you to seek him with all your heart. And if you are a Christian and you're investing yourself in the wrong things and Christ is not a priority in your life and you're not bearing forth fruit for the kingdom of God, I urge you to do a deep soul searching. Jesus is coming back again, folks. 
Wouldn't it be something if this was the last worship gathering Cornerstone Baptist Church? Because on Sunday afternoon, November the 14th, 2021, there was a trumpet sound and a mighty shout as the voice of an archangel. These pews would be empty for days and weeks and years to come because Jesus came and we were ready and we're with him. Hallelujah. I'm like the Apostle John as he closes out that wonderful revelation and praying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are some harsh realities in this lesson, Lord. Things that we need to be informed and reminded of. Lord, that reflects the absolute divine revelation of the fact that you are coming back. You promised us you would come back. You promised us that you would receive us unto yourself. Lord, you promised that you would come back and exact judgment upon every form and semblance of sin. That you would receive us into your kingdom to live with you forever. Oh God, I pray, I pray that every person in hearing of my voice and the reading of your word will be absolutely ready and go to bed at night with the last words on their lips saying, even so come Lord Jesus. So wake up in the morning, greeting the sunrise with even so come Lord Jesus. Lord, you're coming again. We know that. Help us to live like that. And we thank you. Oh, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mark, would you come and just close the service as the Lord so leads you? Thank you.